talk to anyone and they'll tell you their idea of what the gospel is. Sadly, the majority seem to think that the gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Here in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul gives us quite a different view as to exactly what the gospel is. And it's that view that we're focusing on here today on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Pastor Steve Converse has us back in the book of Romans today, and we're taking a look at the consistency of the gospel, the character of the gospel, and its divine origin. It's all found in God's Word, and it's a marvelous look at the glory of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of this good news, this gospel that saves you and I for all time and all eternity. Join us. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's program. The religious leaders of Jesus' time perverted the law of God so much that Jesus declared in verse 20 of Matthew 5, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. But they also attacked Paul, not just Jesus. They attacked Paul when he came and he began to preach the gospel. They were against him as well. And so what he says back to Romans 1 is, hey, don't think I came up with this deal on my own. That's why he says, no, he's an apostle of God. He's set apart. It's not something that he just kind of came up with randomly. And so when he says in verse 2, God promised this gospel. I'm set apart for the gospel of God, the good news of God. And it's him that promised it. And he did so beforehand. How did he promise this? Over in Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us, Hebrews chapter 1, the Old Testament is completely consistent with the New Testament. The good news is old. It's not new. It's not the new good news. No, this, this news has been around for a while. When Christ preached the good news of the kingdom, people wondered if it was something just out of this world, revolutionary. But it wasn't. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, God who at different times and in different manners spoke in times past to who? Unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us through who? By his son, it says, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's. See, the writer basically is saying that God spoke by the prophets in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, he spoke through his Son. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 tells us the means. It says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come on to you. 1 Peter 1, 10, 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. See, the prophets themselves realized their message was incomplete. They were missing something. They didn't know what it was. And so the new covenant through Christ came, the good news of Christ, and that clarified what the Old Testament prophets had promised. I mean, think about it. In the Old Testament, when they would sacrifice a lamb... What did that point to? That, that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice. That pointed to Jesus Christ. 
That had no power to forgive sin. The Old Testament spoke of the time when the Messiah would come. And he did come. And the people that he came for killed him. They denied that he had any correlation to their law or their tradition. See, that is why Paul is saying here, the gospel is good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's exactly what was promised before. This isn't something new. And he says there in verse 2, that it was through his prophets in the holy scriptures. This isn't something Paul just dreamt up because he had a, a, you know, a bad tamale or something the day before. Couldn't sleep. Ah, I think I'll write some things down. No, this is something that's from God. The Old Testament was commonly known as the Law and the Prophets. And the Jewish people divided the Old Testament into those two categories. But basically the phrase, the prophets, includes everything in the Old Testament. That's the idea. And the gospel was promised through the Holy Scripture. What does that signify? That word holy means that it, it's something that's not of human origin. The reason spoke of Scripture in this way was to emphasize its its origin. That's why Paul spoke this way. The scriptures we hold in our hands today are holy. It's the holy Bible, if it says it on the front of yours. That's what that word means, that it's set apart from everything else, that it's divine, that it's unique, that it's righteous, that it's godly. Sometimes people ask, well, how do you know the Bible's inspired? One good reason is because God says it is. I mean, that goes on good authority right there. John 5, 39, Jesus said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they which testify of me. In Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus said this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, speaking to his disciples there, in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. He was teaching about himself from the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said, In the volume of the book, it is written of me. In other words, the Old Testament is filled with the good news of the gospel. This isn't something new. It's a promise. It's a promise of God's good news. It's not of human origin, it's of divine origin. Romans chapter 7, verse 12 says, The law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. See, one thing that you have to have as a baseline, if you're going to understand anything about Christ or about God or about his holy word, is that God's truth is pure. God's truth is holy. God's truth is good. It's just. And when you read about the character and the nature of God found in the pages of this book, it helps put life in perspective. 2 Peter 1.20 says, No prophecy of Scripture in, is, any, is of any private interpretation. It says, For those prophecies came not at any time by the will of what? Man. These guys just didn't sit down and say, Yeah, I think I'll write a letter to the Romans. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a good idea. See if I can get this in this Bible everybody's coming up with. That's not what Paul was doing. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. It says, But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by his spirit. This is an inspired text. This isn't like, you know, a novel that you read cover to cover. This is an inspired text. It's an inspired book. And I think that we would do well in reminding ourselves that on our bookshelves, a lot of us have 10, 20 copies of God's word. And sometimes we're lucky if we, we break open one of them. 
The promise of God's news is there in verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. We not only see the promise, but in verse 3, we see the person. The person of the gospel. Who is the gospel about? It says there in verse 3, concerning his son. Concerning his son. He's speaking of none other than Jesus Christ. He, He names him there. Concerning his son who descended from David according to the flesh. All the way at the end, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who is his name? Who is his son? It's the gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know this. We've studied this before. But the name Jesus, it's a name. There was other people named Jesus. Jesus, the word in itself, is not a holy word. There's a lot of people down south of the border that are named Jesus. The name Jesus means what? It means Savior. Matthew one twenty one says, Mary shall bring forth a son. She shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Why? God said, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's good news. We're captivated in our sin and God says, you know what? I don't want that. I'm going to send an answer. I'm going to send a remedy. I'm going to send a solution. I'm going to send salvation. And his name is called Jesus And his title is Christ. That's not his last name. It's not Jesus Christ. (laughs) Mr. Christ, no. Christ is a title. It means anointed one. Messiah. Jesus the Christ has been anointed by God, the, the word of God says, as king and priest. That's important to understand. He is the chosen one, the anointed one. There's none other. You can't have, if if I say, you're chosen, wait, you're chosen too. (laughs) Well, wait a minute, who's chosen? Who are you going to pick to be on your team? You or you? I can't pick both of you. I got to pick one of you. Remember in gym class when they used to have you line up against the wall? Then they'd have the two rather athletic jocks get out there and they were able to pick their own teams. And you'd sit there hoping you weren't last to get picked. Well, they did. They'd pick them one by one. The idea of an anointed one, one who is picked, one who is, is, is chosen, is that it's exclusive. There's not a bunch of Jesus Christ running around and you figure out which one you want to follow. No, that's not it. The Bible says that God clearly had one son. And his name was Jesus. And he was the Christ, the anointed one. And then his designated designation there, the Lord, it basically means sovereign ruler, It means someone who is over others in every way. Romans 9, 5 says, As as concerning the flesh, Christ came who is over all. God blessed forever. Philippians 2, 6, Paul said that this Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Colossians 2, 9 says, In him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. See, we have to remember, beloved... That his name encompasses so much. Jesus Christ, our Lord. But we also see his sonship. I mean, there's no question that Jesus Christ is God. There's no question that he is Lord. Yet he's also referred to as the Son of God. It says concerning his Son. Many have asked, how, how can Jesus be both God and the Son of God? That doesn't make any sense. Well, we have to first determine a couple things. What sense Jesus is the Son of God? When you stop and you look at scriptures, you're going to see an interesting thing. 
The term son was used by Paul and other New Testament writers to speak of Christ when? At his incarnation. At his incarnation. Jesus became a son in taking on the role of the Son of God at his incarnation. I mean, there's a lot of different theologians that debate this, whether Christ has been the Son of God in all of eternity, or is he just the Son of God when he came down to earth? One thing is for sure, Christ is and always has been the second member of the Trinity. But he only became a son in his incarnation. See, when you think of the word son, stop and think of it this way. What do you think of? You think of someone who's submissive, someone who's obedient, someone who's there to honor that person's father. That is the sense in which Jesus is a son. You also notice, if you study the scriptures, nowhere in scripture does it say that Jesus has eternally and forever been the son. doesn't say that. In the Old Testament, he's called the angel of Jehovah. When he came to earth, functioned as an angelic being. But that doesn't mean that he's eternally an angelic being. See, just because he took on the role of the Son in his incarnation doesn't mean that he had been eternally functioning as the Son to the Father. It's important to understand this. See, the term Son, from what Scripture says, refers only to Christ's incarnation. That's why in verse 3 there, it says, concerning the Son who was descended from heaven according to the flesh. Some translations read, who was made, in verse 3 there. It's the Greek word ginomai. could also be translated, who became. Who became the Son of God. And it speaks of a transition from one state to another. And the point is this. Jesus did not come into existence when he was born. We know that, right? He's always existed. He's eternal, or he wouldn't be God. But in the incarnation, he simply took on the role of a son. That is why the text doesn't say that he was made or created at his incarnation. It says, no, that he he became the son of God. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He made the transition from his holy, lofty position with God to a humiliating position of dwelling with sinful men as a man himself here on this earth. And he took on the role of the son In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament, and he's quoting out of Psalm 2-7. And it says this in Psalm 2-7, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. See, that verse explains that there was a day in which the second person of the Trinity assumed the role of a son. The rest of the verse says, I will be a father I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. It doesn't say he is a, I am a father to him, and he is a son to me. No, it says future tense. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. And it indicates a time in space here on earth when God will act as a father, and the second person of the Trinity will take on the role of his son. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, God says this to David about the Messiah. He says, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. The Old Testament over and over again declares that God will one day have a son. Jesus was always God and has eternally existed as God. But he took on the incarnational title of son when he came down to earth. 
That's why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, Paul said about Christ, he says, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but what? Made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a slave, of a servant, who was made in the likeness of men and being found in, in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, there was not a father-son relationship among the Trinity in all eternity, but complete equality. At the incarnation, Jesus took on the role of a servant as his father's son. That's why when you read verses like in John 17, John 17 verse 4, Jesus says this, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Now that cannot refer to Christ's work in sustaining creation because he would never cease from that, Hebrews 1, 3. Well, what work did he finish? The work of the cross and his role as the son. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word, verse 14, it says, was made flesh and dwelt among us. See, verse 1 there in John describes his exalted eternal state. And verse 14 in John 1 describes his humble human nature as the son. Well, we also see here his birth. The phrase, it says they're the seed of David according to the flesh. The seed of David according to the flesh. It emphasizes his virgin birth of Christ. His mother Mary was in the line of David and as was, as was Joseph. And he had to be born into the family of David to be the true Messiah. Uh, the phrase talks about Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, coming to earth as a man. I mean, that's part of the good news. That's, that's part of the good news we're talking about here this morning. The fact that Jesus became a man. That he was born into a family. Like every other man. He was flesh. He was blood. He was born of a virgin. Nevertheless, he was still born. And this is the time he became a son. In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Who is Christ the Lord. He became a son. I mean, you might say, well, what's the big deal? Whether Christ being a son eternally or becoming one at his incarnation. I think it's just a matter of what the Word of God says. And it gives us a clear picture, a clearer picture of, of what he gave up to become the son. A different role. All of a sudden, he was in submission to his father. Well, Jesus also, when he came down, it allows him to sympathize with us. It allows him to sympathize with us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, the scriptures tell us very clearly that, that Christ is, is a Savior who understands us. He identifies with us. It says in verse 14 of Hebrews 4, since then we have a great high priest, who, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And because of that, it says, verse 16, let us then draw, conf draw with confidence near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Jesus understands our plight. He understands what we're going through. Why? Because he became a man. And because he became a man, he can sympathize with us. 
He understands what it means to be hungry. He understands what it means to sweat. He understands what it means to have his heart broken. He understands all those things and more. And it also says that he was born of the house of David. He just wasn't any man. It says that he was of the seed of David in verse 3. Jesus was born into the right family. He had to be born into the right family to be the Messiah. He had to be born into this family to fall in line with God's eternal plan to rule and redeem the world. If he hadn't been the son of David, he couldn't have been the Messiah that the Old Testament proclaimed him to be. In Luke 1, a whole bunch of verses that speak of Christ as being the son of David. Verse 27, 32, 33, 69. See, God became a man to sympathize with man and to bear the sins of man. And Christ is the right man because he descended from the throne of David. And he has the right to rule, to reign, to redeem the creation. There's a lot of people that just deny that Jesus ever even existed. Even as a historical figure. It's kind of ridiculous, but they do. I just want to read one quote from Josephus, a church historian. He wrote around A.D. 90. It's about the time John wrote Revelation. He said this. Now there was about... This time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct to this day. If Christ wasn't real, what are we doing here? Why would we even be here? This isn't a fairy tale. This is real life. And we know it to be real because at the end of verse 4, it tells us why. It says, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by what? By his resurrection from the dead. See, that's what sets Christ apart. That's what sets him apart as the, the one and only true God, that he rose from the dead. You can go visit the graves of all these other religious leaders and they'll be there. Not Jesus. I mean, if someone came along and and made the claim to be the Messiah and and claimed all this stuff that he was going to rise on the third day, and then it never happened, don't you think people would kind of figure out this is a shell game, this is something that's not real? But here we are, thousands of years later, gathered in this little church, clinging on to the Bible, saying that, you know what, this is real. It's changed my life. This isn't a story that that is just told and, and passed down from age to age. Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power. That word declared is an interesting word. Our English word, we get the word horizon from it. And it means that, you know what, you can basically see there's a boundary there between the earth and the sky. When you go out to the coast and you see the, the sun kind of sink down into the horizon, there's a boundary there. It refers to that kind of that, that boundary line between earth and sky. And Paul is saying, you know what? Some have questioned the veracity of Christ being who he said he was. The one that separates him, the boundary line that separates him from all others is the clear demonstration that he rose from the dead, that he's resurrected. 
I mean, that's the good news of our gospel, beloved. And that is none other than Jesus Christ, our Lord, he says at the end there. I mean, aren't you glad that the the, the story of Christ ends with the resurrection? I want to ask you this morning, if you've never made a commitment to Christ, now's the time. Admit your sinfulness. Admit you're in chains. Admit you're in need of a Savior. And ask God to forgive you of your sin. That's a prayer that he will truly answer based on the promises of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.